Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sign Guy Nation. Welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sign Guy with you as normal. And we will be joined later by our brand new co-host, debuting today, Chris Marks. He'll be on later. Our guest on the way, I believe. But real quick, some show notes. If you are looking for some professional wrestling in the next couple of days, tonight, WCWO in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Outlaw Arena, 1151 South Kentucky Avenue. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio. Freelance Wrestling in Chicago, Illinois. XCF in Jeffersonville, Indiana at the Arena. RCW featuring Madman Pondo in Sims, Illinois. Tomorrow night, you can find myself and the aforementioned Chris Marks at CPW presents Theatrical Wrestling in Arlington, Washington. Emerge back in Columbus, Indiana. Defy in Seattle, Washington. We Love Pro Wrestling in Florence, Alabama. Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana. TMW in Lewiston, Pennsylvania. APW in Cincinnati, Ohio. WCWO debuting in the arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Circle 6 in Indianapolis, Indiana. MSWA in Rockwood, Tennessee. DCCW in Muncie, Indiana. NHEW in Hope, Arkansas. 907 in Anchorage, Alaska. And SNPW, also featuring Madman Pondo in Crossville, Illinois tomorrow. So if you are nearby any of those shows, get out there and support some of your local independent professional wrestling. Don't forget you can find us on Sundays and Fridays. This coming Sunday we have the NGW Northwest Heavyweight Champion Viento. Then one week from today, we'll be back with you with nobody because our show next week, a day early. We are running a Buddhist special next Thursday at 3.30 Pacific. Koa, the Hawaiian hitman, will be our guest. Special day and time. So make sure you plan accordingly for Koa, the Hawaiian hitman. On the 19th of this month, we have the people from Behind the Chair with Nathan and Anessa. Great podcast. Their show had me on it a few weeks ago. We are returning the favor. They're new, so we will be welcoming them to our airwaves. 24th of this month, two weeks from this very day, Brad Zane out of Russell Club will be joining us. So make sure you are here for that. 
And without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest today. He is from the great state of Georgia. He is a member of the Alabama Wrestling Hall of Fame, legendary competitor, Pat Rose. Thank you so much for being here today. We definitely appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. How's everybody doing? Doing very well today. And I want to, once again, thank you for being on here. And for the fans that are aware of a little bit of wrestling history, you are out of Georgia, which is a very rich state in wrestling history, dating back to the earliest days of our sport. Uh, as a active professional wrestler and someone that was in the business for a long time, did you do a lot of studying of the history of professional wrestling there in Georgia? No, are you kidding me, man? Yes. Uh, I grew up actually in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and now Camden and I, my son, we live in Trenton, Georgia, which is right at the corner of Tennessee, Alabama, uh, the the northwest Georgia corner, man. I mean, as far as you can get in the corner, that's us. But I grew up on NWA Championship Wrestling here, Goulas Championship Wrestling in Chattanooga, man. And as far as the history of our sport, yes, I love the history of it. I respect the guys that come before me. And that's what I tell Camden. My son Camden plays country music. He's gone to the show now. And, and I try to instill in him, you know, when he goes to a maybe a fan fest with me or something like that, he'll introduce himself like maybe, you know, to Bob Roop or, or Mike Pappas or somebody like that at the Tennessee Wrestling Reunion. And he'll he'll ask them, can I get you anything? Can I do this? Can I do that? Working for those guys, showing respect to those guys. You you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. That's great that he does that. Yeah, and that's a cool thing. I mean, he's met everybody, and and the 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 history of pro wrestling is rich, like you said, in Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. It's 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 something else that we had that the rest of the world didn't have. You know, the Fargos, Jackie and Donnie Fargo with Roughhouse and Lynn Rossi and Bearcat Brown. And let me tell you something, man, you would have liked this. The interns with Ken Ramey and the spoilers with Saul Weindroff. Oh, my God. We talking about bloodbaths sold out freaking uh, uh, Chattanooga Memorial Auditorium. Those were my favorite teams. Those two teams right there was my favorite teams back in the day. Once you became an active wrestler, one of your stops was, of course, the Memphis Territory, one of my all-time favorites. What was it like going from a fan of the wrestling in Memphis to being a wrestler for the Memphis company. Oh my Lord. You know, when, let me, let me go back and give you a little bit of history. And then we go to Memphis. We, I started working at 19 with Nick Goulas and he closed down in 80. 
So he sent me and Bobby Eaton to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Okay? So here I am, a little bit old punk kid, 19, 20 years old at the time, and I'm sitting in the dressing room with Paul Orndorff, Tommy Rich, uh, Ole Anderson, and Ole liked me, man, and I love Ole to death. He he helped me a lot, him and Gordon. But it was just amazing, like you said, you know, one month I'm at home trying to be a wrestler. The next month I'm in I'm at Techwood Drive, Georgia Championship Wrestling, doing TV, and sitting with my my freaking childhood heroes, right? And then. You know, I got to move, and I went from there to Mid-South, this and that. Then I met Bill Dundee in Mid-South. When all the rock and roll midnight stuff started, I was right there. Uh, And when Bill went back to Memphis, uh, he took me and Tom Pritchard. And, man, we, we were a good team. We could have went somewhere if Tom hadn't got hurt and Sherry Martell was our manager. And, man, we were selling out everywhere. Buddy Landell was there, Dundee, Lawler. It was great being in Memphis, man. It, it was beautiful because we'd do Memphis, Nashville, Louisville, Lexington, spot shows, and come back to Memphis. And it it was fun. We had a good time. And most fans, when they think Memphis wrestling, they're going to think Jerry the King Lawler. Jerry Lawler had a stroke earlier this week. Uh, looks like he's recovering well. He's going to be all right, luckily enough. But do you have a favorite memory being around Jerry Lawler? Just getting to wrestle with him, getting to take his punches. Uh, I love, and Bob Cook, you know Bob Cook? Yes, sir. Yeah, me and Bob Cook, we we done a TV taping, I think, in St. Louis or Kansas City or something like that, and we rode together, and we as we was coming back through, I made a call and got us booked on TV, to, uh, and we worked with me and Bob Cook against Jerry Lawler and Dundee. And Bob, man, it, it was great. You know how good Bob is, and and with all of us in the ring, man, it was a great match, and I loved wrestling with Lawler. He was, uh, timing was impeccable, and I just loved Jerry Lawler, and, uh, you know, as far as his stroke, man, we we praying for him here, and I hope he recovers 100% and gets back on that road, man. At 50 years this year, he's been in the wrestling business. 50 years. That's amazing. Absolutely. He's still active as well. He's still wrestling out there on the independence. Yeah, man. Yeah. Now, when you got out of the wrestling business, you went over into professional fishing, which is something not a lot of wrestlers have done. But can you tell me a little bit about how wrestling may have prepared you for what you're doing in the fishing business. You know what? When I finally got out of the business in 94, I had my last match, April 94. And 
you know, about a, I don't know, six months, year went by, and I was missing having to be somewhere at, at, at five o'clock in the afternoon, getting in the dressing room and waiting on the show to start and this and that. And I was really missing pro wrestling, but I wrestled a few times after that and I couldn't move or do what I used to do. So at the, at the level that I used to do it, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't want to wrestle anymore. I knew that I still love wrestling, still love amateur wrestling, the whole deal. But then a guy from my church, a guy named Evan Stone, he said, Pat, why don't you get you a uh, get you a radio show together? Well, no, let me go back. Let me go back. Started fishing uh, tournaments. Started fishing tournaments and got to fish in the Elite Series and stuff like that. And then a guy at church, Evan Stone, said, hey, Pat, why don't you get you a radio show? I said, well, sure, okay. So he set me up to come in with him and another guy uh, to to do a ten minute segment on radio on the radio just to see, you know, how it would work out, and it went good. But my only trouble was, you know, when I started uh, when I started going into the studio and and they're giving me ten minutes, and I've already you know, wrote down notes and this and that, and it took me five minutes to get through it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what do I do now? So I started getting guests. Uh, they gave me an hour show, set the hook with Pat Rose. We're starting our 15th year uh, this past January, and I started getting guests like Roland Martin, Bill Dance, Ray Scott, uh, Kevin Van Dam, anybody that's anybody in the fishing industry has been on my show and I'm thinking, okay, if I have four segments and I ask these guys, have maybe two guests, ask these guys a few questions, I don't have to talk as much because they don't want to hear me. They want to hear about fishing and it went, it went perfect. And we're, like I said, we're on our 15th year and, and I love it, man. It's uh it's something else. Somewhere around the time that you were starting up the fishing show, Greg Valentine and George Steele filmed a pilot for a show on television where they were retired wrestlers that went into the fishing business and were professional fishermen. Did you ever see the pilot with Greg Valentine and George Steele? I did not, man. I'd love to see it. Is is it out? Uh, sure yes, it is, it is right? available. I will pass What's that along. What's the name of it? Um, I honestly can't recall the title of it, but okay. it was a, a pilot. It never got picked up, but the pilot that was filmed is out there for viewing. <laughs> George Steele and Greg Valentine. That's a heck of a thing. It was a little unusual for sure. I bet. Now, in your time as an active wrestler, when you're on the road and you're making all these towns, did you make time to go fishing in the different spots? Were you actively fishing as you were traveling? Great question, man. Great question. I go back 
and when I was in all these towns like Louisiana, like Texas, and you know all the good lakes in these in these states, I did not take a rod and reel with me. Now, let me tell you somebody that did. Black Bart, he drove a truck, and he had a rod and reel in his truck, and he done some fishing. I wish I had done what Big Bart, Black Bart done is fished in these towns, man. I, I, I totally messed that up. Uh, in the territories where you were primary wrestling, the fans there were perhaps a little bit more prone to being physically expressing themselves that they didn't like something <laughs> than in other territories. Did you personally have to endure very many fan riots during your career? Oh, my God. At least two. Uh, one was in a little town. I, I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but it's called Watertown, Tennessee. You ever heard of that? Not familiar with Watertown. It's it's up. Let's see. You go to Nashville, take a left, and it's up that way out in the country, man. And it was nuts. One night, we were wrestling, me and Rocky Brewer, my partner, we were the Mid-America Tag Team Champions, and we were wrestling Duke Myers and Tojo Yamamoto. So, something happened where Tojo went out on the floor, and the fans got a hold of him, and I had to save him and get him back in the ring and this and that, but that place went crazy. And another time... You remember when it was Lawler and Dundee for the wife's hair, Beverly and I don't know who who Jerry's wife was, but they put the wife's hair on the line. And, man, that place got crazy. We had to fight our way back to the dressing room. It was crazy. Uh, in Memphis, of course, in Memphis, most of the fans will very fondly recall the duo of Lance Russell and Dave Brown, who were oh, yeah. instrumental not only in the success of the Memphis Territory, but for Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler being able to get on television. They're a legendary duo. Dave Brown's still with us. What do you remember about Dave Brown from working with him in Memphis? Uh, very nice to me, man. Very good dude. A great announcer. Him and, and Lance made a beautiful team. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this. You know Bill Dance, right? You ever heard of Bill Dance? Yes. All right. A lot of people don't know this, but Lance Russell started Bill Dance there in Memphis. So Lance Russell's helped a lot of people, and he's helped me, and and I just love Lance Russell to death. And Dave Brown, the same way, man. Great announcer, great guy. Um, enjoyed working with him, really did. 
In your era of wrestling, how closely would you work with the announced team? Did you talk to them about some of the moves that you would do so they could call it correctly, or did you tell them a little bit about what you might be doing on TV to give them a heads up, or was it something that you kind of stayed separate from the announcers and didn't really interact unless you were doing an interview? Separate from the announcers unless we'd done an interview. They were good enough to uh, to pick up stuff that we did. Like, for an example, uh, down in, uh, oh, what was it, Southeastern Championship when Randy Rose and I was partners, um, he uh, we'd done a thing called the Rose Bomb, and, and that got named – uh, as we were doing TV, it's a deal where I pick up the guy in a suplex. Randy's already stationed on the top rope, and I put the guy in the suplex on Randy's shoulder, and Randy comes off with, with the bomb. And uh, that was named on the fly at, at TV studio by Rich Stewart. And uh, it's just stuff like that. They're smart enough to know and, and to give it, a good name, good guy about that is is Jim Ross, man. He's he's good. He's really good. A lot of times when wrestlers step away from the ring, they will stay in the business, be it as an announcer or a trainer or a promoter, whatever the case may be. When you decided to stop actively wrestling did you consider or did you get asked to stick around the business in a different capacity no i didn't man um you know when i got out i got out um i was lucky enough and blessed enough to fall right into a job supervision job at mohawk industries and i was there for 20 years and worked a real job, and and a lot of the guys, man, uh, don't really know what to do when it's over. Uh, you know, they still do the the fan fest and all that, but you got to have. If you're going to raise a family, you got to have money coming in. And I was lucky enough, like I said, and blessed enough uh, to. Uh, to fall right into a job. So, you know, I was lucky. Um, If someone had approached you at the time of your exit from the ring, do you think there would have been a position in wrestling that would have interested you to try at least? Oh, my God, yes, training people. I I would have loved to train the guys. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. And a lot of people don't know this. Uh, down in uh, Pensacola, when uh, Bob Holly started, Hardcore Holly started, Marcel Pringle said, Pat, I want you to train this guy. And he brought him over uh, to Border Street Arena. We had WOW going in, World Organization Wrestling. And, and, he said, Pat, I want you to train him. So I got in, and I 
you know, was stiff with him for a little while, and I got up and I said, "Man, this cat's ready. Don't he don't need to be trained." So you know, I kind of I kind of ribbingly say that I trained Bob Holly. You know what I mean? I get you. Yeah. Um, in today's environment, a lot of times wrestlers will go to a few different wrestling schools and have multiple trainers at each school. So they may be trained by six or seven different people before they're wrestling full time. In your day, it was a different environment where you would go to usually one place to train. You'd have one or two teachers and that's who trains you. Do you think that there's an advantage to one or the other as far as how guys are trained and how many people have a hand in training them today? I think that it's it's better today. It's more detailed today. And I use, uh, what is it called, Jacobs and, and Pritchard up in Knoxville. Uh, they got a facility to where they can do, you know, in-ring training. They can do uh, interviews. They can do this and do that. And Ricky Morton takes it a step further up in Chucky, Tennessee, and he does the TV show. And that's great for them. We didn't have nothing like that. We just learned, you know, how to take a flat backdrop and how to take a slam and this and that, and then you were on your way. But today it's more detail-oriented, and that that is good for the people that are getting trained to be a professional wrestler. When you were on the road, I know a lot of times – you may not even know who your opponent was going to be until you were standing in the ring with them. And you may or may not be familiar with the opponent. How much did guys in your era try to study and learn who guys were trained by, how guys worked, things like that, so you were prepared once you would come across a guy, or did you simply just, go in blind and wrestle them and hope for the best. Just what you said, go in blind and fill them out and, 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 and call spots that would, you know, not overwhelm whoever we was wrestling, you know, if they were new. And, yeah, you would ask the question, who trained you, and you'd get an idea of what was, what was fixing to happen, you know. But, you know, as far as in-ring, hey, Pat, you're working with this guy, you know, get him over, da-da-da-da, uh, and I knew what to do. You know, as far as, as long as they listened to me, I'd get them over, and, and, you know, we'd go from there. But, yeah, in-ring, in-ring. Was there ever anybody who, when someone would say, I was trained by this guy, Gave you a little bit of fear in going into the match with them because it was a little bit rougher maybe, or maybe the guys weren't trained as well as you'd hope by this person? No, not at all. I was an amateur wrestler, and I could take care of myself. 
So, no, not at all uh, as far as that. Nobody would try to get stupid or anything like that. They knew it was a work, and uh, we had to have a good match for TV or a house show or whatever it is. Uh, No, nothing like that. In today's landscape of professional wrestling, there's a lot more television shows on the national level than there has been in a long time. You have WWE with multiple shows. AEW has multiple shows. Impact Wrestling. You have WOW Women of Wrestling that's on national TV. 10, 15 years ago, the choices were a lot more limited as far as national exposure. Do you think with the amount of exposure today that wrestling's in a better place, or do you think that the market is oversaturated? Uh, To be honest with you, I don't really watch anymore. Uh, There is no way that, what am I trying to say here? It's more flippy floppy today. A lot of serious injuries today. You know, Bill Dundee, he told me, he said, Pat Rose, and I used to be the guy that would take the backdrop over the top and land on the floor and this and that. And Bill Dundee said, Pat Rose, if you don't slow down, you ain't going to be walking time you're 50. Oh, well, I was lucky enough to be walking by the time I'm 50, but what he was telling me is settle down and work. Don't worry about all the flippy-floppy stuff. Give them a match that they can understand. You follow what I'm saying? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Now, there were still a lot of guys when you were – active, especially the last few years that we're starting to do a lot of higher risk stuff and doing dives to the floor and doing a lot of moves that are a lot more reckless than in years past. Uh, guys like Lanny Poffo were doing moonsaults. Randy Savage had to jump from the top rope to the floor on a regular basis. Did you kind of see when you were watching those guys that maybe things were going to escalate to what they are today, or did you think that it would eventually slow back down? Really never thought about it. Once I got out of the business, like I said, I was, I was done, but never really thought about it. Never really seen the flippy and floppy coming, but you know, and and I got to understand that, that wrestling evolves. And that's what it's evolved to is the flippy floppy stuff, not, you know, personal stuff or storytelling stuff, you know, where they come out and beat up a guy in a wheelchair or nothing like that. It's just, you know, how many times they can jump off a ladder or, or Lord, take a bump uh, off the turnbuckle or whatever. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It does, yes. Uh, Going back to Memphis for this, one of their more famous matches, uh, 
they had a handful of them. The concession stand brawl, uh, they became famous. There were a few different ones where the guys would brawl into the concession stand and hit each other with everything that they could grab that wasn't nailed down. And those became very popular and were sort of a precursor to hardcore wrestling. Did you work any of the shows where they had the concession stand brawls and have an opinion on what they were doing? No. You know what? It's just like, uh, you remember when Mick Foley took the bump off the cage? Yes. With The Undertaker? It's a situation like that. And I got to tell Mick, you know, Shane McMahon started jumping off the cage and and all this bullshit, which they should have left that particular bump alone. Mick Foley's done it. That's his high spot of career. That's what you that's what you remember when you think of Mick Foley. My God, that match with the Undertaker where he took a bump off the top, where he took, you know, the bump into the ring off the top, you know, where where the cage falls in on him and stuff like that. Nobody else should touch that. Now, that being said, who was the first concession stand brawl? Was it uh, the Blonde Bombers? Yes, the Blonde Bombers were in that. Was it with uh, Lawler and Dundee? Yes, Lawler and Dundee versus the Blonde Bombers, Ferris and Latham. Now, why would they keep doing it? Who cares? Let that be their spot. Do you follow what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, make it special for them because they were the ones to do it. Exactly, exactly. And now they do it every other match. It just don't mean nothing. You, you you know, I mean, not now, but back in the day, they do it every other match, and it don't mean nothing. Oh, one of the things that still exists today, and it existed uh, when you were wrestling as well, is some states have an athletic commission that oversees wrestling. Every state's different. Uh, the complexities of the commissions are different, how much they require is different, what they uh, want you to do to get licensed is different. Did you have to deal with many wrestling commissions when you were active on a personal basis, or was that something that you didn't really see in your day-to-day career? No, 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 not at all. Uh, Back in the day, uh, you would have to have a wrestling license for this state, that state, and the office would take care of it and hand you a card, and it'd take it out of your pay. But no, no personal stuff or anything like that. One of the things that existed in Memphis was they had a ban on the pile driver, which was legitimately on the books in Memphis, but they used that as a way to set up a lot of angles over the years. Jerry Lawler would sneak in a pile driver behind the referee's back, and Lance Russell and Dave Brown would be 
vehemently calling how that was an illegal move. <laughs> Did you enjoy things like that where they took something that was actually part of the rule book but maybe not actually enforced and made it part of what they were doing? Oh, man, that made that move special. You can't use it. Uh, you, you know, you'd get disqualified. But what the referee don't see uh, don't hurt. So, yeah, I loved it, man. And that made it – that made the fans get into it. Oh, my God, he just did a pile driver on him. That's outlaw. What? You know what I mean? And, yeah, that was cool. What would you say was the most dangerous looking move that you ever took? Oh my God, the Steiner, whatever the hell off the top turnbuckle, where he'd get me, Scott to get me on on his shoulders, and I took this one time, and it freaked me out. Scott would get me on his shoulders, and here we'd go, man. But it was a good flat bump. Scott took care of me. And it wasn't no big deal, but to look at it, you're thinking, Jesus, what the heck? But, uh, yeah, that I, I don't even know what it was called. <laughs> I don't know if it had a specific name or not, but that was the move that broke Buff Bagwell's neck on television. Yeah, and, and it was fine with me. I, I guess I was one of the lucky ones. Lucky for you, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think almost everybody escaped unscathed, but they just had a accident with Buff, and it led to pretty bad injuries. Yeah. Alan, then the switch over to fishing, obviously that's, not as injury-prone a sport or anything like that, or it's as physical, but are there any holdovers from wrestling that prepared you for the rigors of fishing, like uh, be able to reel in a bigger fish or have the cardio to fight the fish, anything like that that you maintained? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, you have, and and it's it's not like, going with your uncle in an aluminum boat, sitting in the pond and fishing. It's moving. It's up and down the uh, up and down the lake in a bass boat going 80, 90 miles an hour. And when I say 80, 90 miles an hour, I've been 83 in a boat. It, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, it's physically demanding. It's a whole week. When you fish a tournament, you get Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, to uh to pre-fish and that's daylight till dark and then thursday the tournament starts friday the tournament then they choose a winner on on saturday depending on your weight and uh it is a job it is physically demanding you're standing up fighting waves uh casting the whole deal so uh it was and 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 I loved it. I loved it. I, you know, in wrestling, you never gave up. You never whined about being tired, nothing like that. You kept going, pushing your body. Same way in fishing. You keep going, pushing your body, catching the fish. And when it's over, go home and rest, you know. 
Well, at this point, my co-host Chris Marks is with us, and I know he has some questions as well, so I'm going to pass you over to Chris Marks. Hey, no problem. Hey, Chris. Hey, Pat. Thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Hey, doing good, buddy. Hey, so I'm going to have to beg your forgiveness right at the beginning here. This is my debut show today, so I haven't hosted before. I hope you bear with me, okay? <laughs> hey, you'll be good. That's fine. All right. Just don't uh, say, things, uh, uh. <laughs> first things first, I, at the beginning of the show, I heard you're, you're living in Georgia now. Is that correct? Yeah, Trenton, Georgia, just right outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm a Florida boy myself, so I appreciate somebody from my area of the world. I don't get to talk to them very often. All right, man. <laughs> um, now, uh, part of the format that I'm going to be doing on the show, um, I'm going to have sort of a rapid-fire question segment to start my part of the interview. So uh, oh, cool. I was going to – I was hopefully you would be willing to do that with me. It's just about 10 or 12 questions, kind of a short answer thing. First thing that comes to your sure. head, does that make sense? That makes sense. Love it. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and start. Uh, first one, workout you hated doing to keep in shape when you were in the business? Legs. <laughs> I, I would squat heavy, and I had a guy named Doug Reardon. Bless his heart, he's passed away now, but he was a monster. And uh, he would uh, work out with me in the gym and keep me fired up and this and that, but our leg routine was brutal. I mean, when you walked out of the gym, you knew it was leg day. So legs. <laughs> okay. On the flip side there, what was the workout you felt was most rewarding at the end of a, of a workout? Oh, shoulders and arms, man. Love sure, doing sure. shoulders and triceps and biceps. And shoot, I had a 20. How big was my arm? 20 and something, 20 and a quarter, something like that, back in the day. That's nuts. Um, before I get into the wrestling stuff, i got to ask, since I'm from Florida, my brothers are all fisher, i I, I got to ask, what's your favorite fishing hole? Uh, it's got to be my home lake, uh, Lake Chickamauga up here in, in Tennessee. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so these are all going to be wrestling-related. Um Favorite move to sell? To sell? Mm-hmm. Uh, the punch, Jerry Lawler's punch, Dundee's punch. What about favorite move to give? Uh, probably a power slam. I love doing the power slam, especially when you got a guy that was that's quick. There's a new kid... His name is Jaden Newman. Have you heard of him yet? Mm, I haven't. That hasn't come across my radar yet, no. Look him up on YouTube. He's a Chattanooga boy, TWE Wrestling here in Red Bank, Tennessee. But Jaden Newman has the prettiest power slam in the business today, man. It looks good. And that's what I liked. I love that quick. Mm. Snappy power slam. That was that was my move. Loved it. Maybe that's somebody that we could put on the list for potential guests in the future. Yeah, um, by all means, man. Also, power slam is a great answer. You gave a hell of a power slam. I've been watching your matches all week. Oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> um, favorite person to work with in the ring? 
Because uh, you worked with them all. Back in the back in the day, me and Randy Rose against the Rat Patrol, the Armstrongs and Johnny Rich. Um, Scott person to deal with, or or, or uh, either or. Yeah, okay. Those guys, they were great. So I heard you and Sign Guy talking earlier about uh, uh, commentators and everything. Who was your favorite person to work with outside the ring? Uh, far as what manager or whatever. Sure, or promoter or anybody. Oh, Jerry Jerry. Love Jerry Jerry. Great answer. Yeah. Um, your your favorite city away from home to work when you were in the business? Austin, Texas. Oh, thanks. Great answer. <laughs> uh, only because, and, and I want to take my son Camden there now. They have honky tonks that are out of this world. And I say Austin, Texas, in reference to me and Wendell Cooley, Wildcat Wendell Cooley, uh, tearing the house down about every week in Austin when we worked for Joe Blanchard. That had to be good times. Oh, it was great. <laughs> I I went to uh, uh, Army school, uh, my my job school in the Army, right up the street, and and I've been to Austin many times. It's good. it's a great place to to be. Um, oh yeah, yeah. One, Wouldn't want to live there. I'd rather be over here south. You know. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, next one would be, uh, let's see here. What do you think your most memorable televised match was? Uh, getting a win on national TV over Dale Veazey. Uh, who Del Vizi is was one of the top uh, enhancement talents at that time in the business. He was great, good-looking, uh, big, strong body, the whole deal. And they put me over him, and mm. and and you know I was walking back through the uh, control room, and Flair and Ole was uh, sitting at a monitor or something, and they said, "Pat, come here." I said, "Yes, sir." He said, uh, what are you doing? Do you work a real job, blah, blah, blah? And I just had my daughter, Erica, at the time, and, and, and Ole asked me, did I want to work full-time? And I told him, well, Ole, if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't, but, you know, I'd like to do what I'm doing. Because at that time, I was I was doing TVs. I was doing the Omni when they ran the Omni. I was doing spot shows around. And I was making enough money. Uh, you know, I was good. And uh, I said no. And and I think back, and I wonder, what if I would have said yes? Uh, would I be uh, doped out of my head like, like a lot of the boys? Or would I still have, you know, would I still even be alive? So maybe that was a, a God sent there, uh, you know, saying no. I don't know. That's one of those linchpin moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, now, <clears throat> I, I'm a worker myself. Um, uh, Sign Guy was kind enough to mention that at the beginning of the show. Uh, cool. I'm known for giving a hell of a chop. I was wondering who gave you the most intense chops of your career. Gypsy Joe. 
Gypsy Joe. And when I was 19 and he was doing that shit to me and I wouldn't let him know he was killing me and I was fixing to run, but uh, I would try to beat the shit out of him right back. And, and my God, the guy was hard as a rock back in the day, you know. And you've mm-hmm. seen where, uh, what's his name, the the black gentleman beat up Gypsy Joe when he was old? Hmm. Uh, and he Jack. passed away. The guy passed away. New Jack. New Jack. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Jack wouldn't have done that in Gypsy's prime. You follow oh, sure. what I'm saying? I do. Had yeah. to get him when he was an old man. But Gypsy kind of asked for it, you know, because mm-hmm. I know how Gypsy is, and he'll grab you here and do this and do that. So, you know, it was it was something. So I had I had two more on the list, but you already answered one in the first half of the show, so I'll just ask the last one. And I saved it for last because it's, it's the one I'm most interested in your answer. And, uh, again, like I said a minute ago, you, you worked with almost every name in the industry, uh, you know, as they were coming up and, and icons to us now. Who is one name that you would have loved to have worked with but never got to? Harley Race. Oh, man. Harley Race. I love how Harley Race worked, just slow and methodical. And God, I would have loved to work with Harley Race. I mean, I've been in the – oh, oh, and Terry Funk. He's a commentary I mean, for a match. I got to wrestle Jack Briscoe <laughs> and Ric Flair. And is there any more world champions? Uh, well, yeah, but Harley Race and Terry Funk, they were, golly, and I Sting. still talk to Terry Sting Funk and the today and had him on the show and stuff, and I love that guy, man. I love that guy. Uh, you, you asked if there were any other world champions. I, I got on my list here. You worked Sting and The Undertaker both. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, so that's it as far as my uh, rapid-fire answer questions. Um, I did have kind of a bit of information that I looked up while I was doing some research that I wanted to ask you about. If you can't tell me for sure, it's not a big deal. Uh, Sign Guy and I discussed it beforehand, and, and you may not have an answer for me, but I wanted to point it out to you anyway. You had a match against Paul Ellering on WCW back when it was in the studio. And about two minutes and 30 seconds into the match, Ric Flair is on commentary, and he says, a stewardess told me in Atlanta this morning, you're nothing but a kiss-feeling, wheeling, dealing, limousine, riding son of a gun, Ric Flair. And I cannot for the life of me find a reference to him saying that prior to that day. Can you think of a time that he ever said that prior to that? So that started during my match? I think that the first time he ever said that quote was during a match you had with Paul Ellery. <laughs> How cool. I thought you would find that interesting if you didn't know already. I did not know that. That's cool. I And I I, I promise, I spent four days doing research on it. I cannot <laughs> find a lick of evidence of him saying it prior to that. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> so it started with us. That's right, you and Paul Ellery. 
Um, Man, okay, during so got, that match, I got mm-hmm. knocked out for my first time. Paul gave me, seems like it was a clothesline or something. Yeah. And and I, he rung my bell, buddy. He rung my bell. I actually watched that match multiple times because of the Ric Flair thing, and I, I noticed when you took a line from him, it looked like you were pretty swayed, and I was curious if that happened or not. Yeah. Yeah, man, he about, That's crazy. he about knocked me out there. Uh, okay, so I have a couple of prepared questions for you. I hate to read from anything, but I did want to ask you a couple prepared questions. So we'll start with this one. Um, I do the same lot, thing, brother, no problem. <laughs> a lot of your earlier work uh, was for companies running in studio-based promotions, like I said, WCW when they were in the right. studio and everything. And you continued all the way through in the earlier 90s when WCW went more mainstream and was in arena shows and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I was curious, as you went through your career, what are some of the biggest differences between a studio-based show and an arena show, and which one was your preference? Good question. I'm going to say studio because it's more personal, and at that time, they were telling stories that were more personal. You follow me? When it went to arenas, it was just a house show. Now, I know back in the back, they were setting up this and setting up that, but to, you know, a guy like me, enhancement guy coming out putting over the Undertaker, uh, it was it was it was just a house show. And back mm-hmm. in the studio days it was more of a storytelling deal, getting ready for say the memorial auditorium that night and selling it out or whatever, you know. So sure. yeah. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think some of the guys in the business now will you know, advance to the higher level and they get to, you know, places like WWE or AEW or Ring of Honor. And they oftentimes will say the same thing. You know, I, I love what I'm doing now, but when I was wrestling in smaller buildings and it was the same 300 people, I could really tell a better story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Uh, okay. So my next one, uh, again, I watched several matches of years. I've been doing some, some uh, prep uh, this week. I noticed a trend People love to give you the stalling vertical suplex. I probably saw it in half <laughs> to three quarters of the matches of yours that I watched. And I was wondering, is that something that you've personally developed a skill at doing and would tell guys to give you? Or was it just happenstance that everybody happened to want to show off and do the stalling vertical suplex and you were the victim? Uh, I guess just happenstance, man, because, uh, you know, I could make sure my legs were up there. I could hold my legs up and make it look pretty, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I don't know. I was told by Terry Taylor one time, he said, Pat Rose, you've got the best arm drag in the business. I said, well, thank you, Terry. And that was out in Mid-South, so. Mm -hmm. Well, I just just made a short list. I'm sure this isn't everybody, but I saw – Paul Orndorff, Paul Ellering, Vader, Bulldog, and uh, uh, me, Mark Callis, all give you a stalling vertical suplex in that. <laughs> so I was just like, hey, man, everybody loves doing, giving this guy the vertical suplex. It's crazy. Um, 
now I, I try not to uh, develop any questions that were about specific moments or matches, but I do have one. Um, let's see here. It was uh, January 93 on WCW Saturday night. You wrestled Robbie V, who was a debuting Rob Van Dam. Do you remember that match? I do. Okay. So, <clears throat> to me, the story being told there was a classically trained heel in yourself going up against the younger, less traditional style baby face. And half the match, it was RVD running circles and doing what you called earlier flippy floppy stuff and outpacing you. Um, even uh, Jim Ross and Zabisco on commentary were, were saying some of that almost verbatim. And it was like RVD trying to impress the promoter with all the stuff that he could do. Um, I was curious how much of that story that we were seeing on TV was, was real. Did you find it difficult dealing with a guy that was trained in that way and did moves like that, having worked with, you know, the Rhodes and the Andersons, the Vaders and the Orgors, so the Ellerings, uh, or was it, was it something that you found easy to cater to? No, no, I, I knew what my job was to be with Rob Van Dam. It was to get him over. He was a kid getting a push. And I knew what my job was to get him over, do what he could do. And, and hopefully, you know, in that match, I kept up. I tried to anyway, because I was just about on my way out. And he, he was nice enough to put that on the uh, Rob Van Dam DVD. Do you remember that when it came out? I do. I think the yeah, clip that I watched online was taken directly from the DVD. Oh, cool, man. But, yeah, man, and I didn't mind at all, I, you know, and hopefully I did justice to Rob and, and got him over, you know. Yeah, the reason I asked the question specifically is because watching the match, I would think that someone that came up in the business like you did would have had more problems working with a guy like RBD, but it looked as good as any match that I had seen anybody at that point do with him. So I was, I was impressed, and I was wondering if it was a headbutt or anything like that. Well, you know what? I could always, from the eighth grade, I tried basketball in the eighth grade, uh, lasted a half a practice, walked out and said, the hell with this. And I started wrestling. And I've wrestled from the eighth grade on to the senior year. And then right after my senior year, I got into pro wrestling another 15 years. So I was an athlete already. So hopefully, you know, at that age, that was 33 when I was 33, hopefully at that age, you could still see that, and and mm-hmm. I made the match look good. You know what I mean? Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely, it does. And you're and you're not wrong at all that you you did. You certainly looked fantastic in that match. I I can't think of anybody at that time that was doing what you called enhancement matches like that that would have looked as good against him in that particular situation. I think that you adapted really well. That's why I was curious what, what you thought about well, that. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I just have one more question for you, and then we'll, we'll kind of start wrapping up things here. Um, I watched your induction ceremony for the Alabama Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, I had to <laughs> note that between you and your brother, your half of the acceptance speech kind of came across like an in-ring promo. And why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? And you know what's funny? Uh, 
back in the day, you know, when Randy and I was tagging, I couldn't talk. I was I was horrible at interviews. And then it's all changed. It's all came full circle. And now I can talk, and Randy can't, you know. I was just about to say, oh, yeah, yeah, man, it was good. the more confident in that induction speech, so it must have switched. <laughs> so my question yeah, that was you, funny, man. My question there for you is, do you feel like you're working pro wrestling doing pre-tapes and in-ring promos and things like that, do you feel like that prepped you for stuff that you did later on? Like you said you were a manager in your career after wrestling, and you have to talk to big groups of people or your workforce in that kind of role. And then also, you know, you're doing TV now, and you have to do the TV promotions, and you have to talk when you're on the air and things like that. Do you feel like it prepped you for that well? Yes. Yes, I really do. Uh, being in front of people. Hell, I've been at the Superdome where it sold out Muhammad Ali on the card, uh, you know, and I remember the first time that I walked out into an audience, it was at WDEF TV 12, and I was going to wrestle Ken Lucas, and I was just a nervous wreck. And I said, uh, I said, Ken, you're going to tell me what to do, right? He said, just listen, kid. And that's what I did. Then when the bell rang and it was time to go out, here it is, man. Go. You got to go. And... That helped me tremendously being in front of people and talking in front of people and and getting a point across, whether it be a job, whether it be my radio show, uh, whether it be the podcast, whatever. And we go on uh, YouTube and Facebook on Wednesdays around 7, 8 o'clock and explain the show coming up for that drops on Saturdays with 36 radio stations and podcasts and this and that. And we do that, you know, every, every week. And that, yeah, wrestling helped. Wrestling helped tremendously as far as public speaking and uh, radio, TV, whatever we have to do. Well, hey, Pat, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for bearing with me in the debut today because I didn't, you know, I, I, this is literally the first time I've ever hosted anything in my life. So I appreciate you bearing with me as I, uh, as I go through my infancy here. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today because you know you're busy and appreciate you taking the time out to come on the show with us. Man, let me tell you this. You did a fine job. Keep doing what you're doing. Always do the research and be prepared, man. And I'm guilty of not doing that at times. I get lazy, but you got to do it and, and entertain those people, buddy. Very good job today. I enjoyed it, guys. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we wanted to give you an opportunity here at the tail end to, you know, self-promote. Tell us what's coming up. Tell us where to find you. Tell us what to watch. Hey, heck yeah, man. Look on uh, Facebook. Uh, look up Pat Rose. Look up Set the Hook with Pat Rose on Facebook, Instagram, Pat Rose, Twitter, Pat Rose. I even got a freaking TikTok. Don't know what the heck I'm doing, uh -oh. but I've got a few videos on it. And it's more it's more personal stuff. I mean, you know, like singing my song, my son's song that he has out. And if you would, get your listeners to, uh, to Google uh, Camden Smith Music, C-A-M-D-E-N, 
Smith Music. He's got a couple songs out and got one dropping here shortly that we hadn't decided on a date yet. And uh, he's doing really good. Matter of fact, he's at a show right now in Leesburg, Alabama. So, uh, yeah, look up Camden and look up Set the Hook with Pat Rose and listen to our show. And we have wrestlers on there. Been trying to get Steve Austin for a year. And he promised me he would come, but hadn't hadn't yet. But we'll get him. And, uh, man, I just appreciate you guys letting me be on the show. Thank you guys for calling. Let, let me throw a last-second ad-lib question at you. You said you've had wrestlers okay. on your show. Who's the best angler other than yourself that's been on your show that's also been in a pair of wrestling boots? Uh, to hear him talk, Tommy Rich. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Pat Rose, take me fishing. <laughs> but to hear him talk, Tommy Rich. I love him. He's a good dude. Well, hang tight a minute. I'm going to throw story. back over to sign guy. Oh, I, I think so. Hey, quick story. We were uh, on tour down in Florida, and I was booked to wrestle Eligante every night. Thank God. And, <laughs> and, and Gordon Soley said, Pat Rose, who are you working with? And I said, well, I got the tour with Eligante. He said, no, that's not going to happen. I did five days with Tommy Rich. Mm-hmm. It was like a night off. Every night, man. <laughs> it was like a night. And I was so relieved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to work at Big Giant. Well, I, I'm going to throw it back over to Sign Guy and let him wrap us up for the day, okay? All right, man. Thank you. Good job, buddy. Thank you. All right. Well, Mr. Rose, I want to just thank you one more time for being on today. We appreciate it greatly. And we want to thank you for everything you contributed to the wrestling business. Always enjoyed wow. your work, and you're welcome back here anytime. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And I appreciate you guys calling and 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 letting me tell my story. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Fans, if you aren't familiar with Pat Rose, jump on the YouTube, look him up. Great professional wrestler. If you're interested in fishing look up set the hook great show but uh, as we wrap up today chris marks you and i both have something going on tomorrow but why don't you tell the fans everything you have going well uh fans can find me on tiktok they can find me on facebook twitter instagram i got all of them you can just look up chris marks k-r-i-s-m-a-r-x as far as i know on most platforms, if you type that in, I'm the first one that comes up or the only one that comes up. Um, tomorrow night in Arlington, Washington at the Merkwood, we've got uh, CPW Theatrical Wrestling for the love of wrestling. Uh, I have a international championship match. I'm returning to the company to defend the title for the first time in two years. I am the longest reigning international champion in company history, and I've been given the opportunity to select my opponent and Using proper tactics, I have not announced who that is yet. They will find out tomorrow night right before they get their behind kicked. Uh, Other than that, I know that Northwest Pro has a show this following Saturday, so check that out. I will more than likely be at that show. Uh, Sign Guy, I believe you'll be there as well, yes? Yes. And that's in Vaughn, Washington, the uh, Key Peninsula Civic Center. Um, 
other than that, I would say check out those two promotions online. And obviously keep tuning into Turnbuckle Turmoil. I may have been a little rough today, but I'll get better, I promise. I do appreciate you, Sangai, letting me have this opportunity to co-host with you. Our pleasure to have you on board. We appreciate you taking the invitation to be with us. Fine job today. So we look forward to next week. we got a Buddhist special coming up with Koa, the Hawaiian hitman. And then this coming Sunday we have Viento on the show. I've known him since he was a rookie wrestler right out of wrestling school. We look forward to that. Also, you can find me on all the social medias. You can find me wherever you see Chris Marks Wrestling this month. Plus, I'll be back at Russell Club on the 25th at the Convention oh. Center. So make sure you Same follow here. us there. And also, I will be at Paul Cade this year. I'm booked at Paul Cade. That's April the 15th in Scott County, Indiana, and then also the 29th of July, as you heard a couple of weeks ago when Keith Miller was here, I am officiating the first ever World's Finest Wrestling Women's Championship Tournament, and that will be in Connersville, Indiana. Stay tuned for more dates as we announce those. Also, just announced, March 25th, I'll be back at RWA in Ocean Shores, so... If you're in that area, check that out as well. We'll talk to you later this week. Everybody stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Like this before. <laughs>